I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. By the way, we now have a merchandise shop on the website. So if you want your podcast swag, and you know you do, go to our website and click on the store tab. Kristen Paget is a Democrat hoping to win a seat in the Texas State House. She's doing that in a heavily gerrymandered district in a very red part of the state. Uh, seriously, District 33 looks like an upside-down U if you get to look at a map. What makes her candidacy so unique, though, is that when she announced it, she also announced that she wasn't religious, which I assume is not exactly part of anyone's playbook in Texas. So, Kristen, thanks so much for joining us. I'm absolutely glad to be here. I Thank you for reaching out to me and, and extending the invite. Absolutely. So let me get that out of the way right now. Why introduce yourself to the state as an atheist? Um, so I, so that is not, um, <laughs> so it's not one of my platforms. Um, and <laughs> right. it wasn't, and it wasn't, uh, I didn't do it in tandem with my announcement. Okay. Um, we'll fix that. Yeah. It wasn't in tandem with my announcement. It came later, months later, actually. Um, and I knew as a matter of fact, so let me back up a little bit. I, I was deterred from running for office because of my lack of religious belief. And I actually talked to some of the um, some of the members of the Democratic Party in Clone County, you know, privately, and said, hey, do you think this is going to be an issue? Do you think they might, people won't vote for me? I mean, you know, how, how limited am I going to be in my political career because I don't believe in God? And several of them were like, hey, me neither. And then other ones, were, but then they were also realistic and they were like, but realistically we're in Texas, right? So, um, you know, they weren't like, oh, nobody's going to care, but they weren't like, oh, you're going to be widely accepted either. Do you, does that make sense? So, sure. Did anybody encourage um, you to lie? Uh, say that one more time. Did anybody encourage you to lie and say, oh, yeah, I'm super Christian. Yay. No, that's no, good. Not at all. Um, Destroy some faith. No, and then on top of it, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. That would have never worked. <laughs> um, I am a terrible liar, um, and I again, like I said, I'm it's... opinionated. So there's just no way that I would have been able to be like, oh yeah, totally believe in this. this I go to church every day. Like that would have <laughs> just been. Extremely disingenuous and not just not who I am. So, uh, but I could have done it because I mean I grew up Catholic, so like I've got the evidence. You know, I've got photos of me going to my first communion <laughs> and you know going at church and and could have been like, oh no, look, nope, nope, definitely Catholic. So definitely you're Catholic. atheist and you're honest. What are you doing in politics? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's definitely not a place. For people that are honest and atheist, um, but okay, but so that's let's. That's why I'm in politics because I want I want to change that. Like sure I is. want that's the whole that's the whole um, 
reason I'm running is to give people somebody to vote for because that's a lot of the reasons you see a lot of voter apathy amongst young people. And when I talk to people and get their feedback on the current political landscape and how they feel about it, do they vote? If not, why? You know, it's because they have nobody to trust. They don't like any of the candidates. They don't pertain to them. They, you know, they feel like they're taking corporate money in in their conflict of interest. As a matter of fact, I just found out today not that this is a surprise, but we have in Texas we have the Texas Association of Realtors, and then they do an interview with all the candidates and you know whatnot, and then they determine which one they're going to endorse. Well, lo and behold, go figure, they and decided to endorse the only candidate in the district that's an actual realtor. Like this, that's this person's career. This is a and shock. I'm just like, I mean, what a conflict of interest that is, yeah. right? Like, what a huge conflict of interest. But at the same time, can you blame them? Because that person's going to represent their their uh, special interest, right? That's if politics this guy for gets you. elected. Yeah. So let's go back to so, that question. Why come out as an atheist then up front instead of, are, were you worried that people were going to found out? And yeah, you didn't want to yes, tap dance around it? Was. Yes. So it was a, it was a productive move. It was a, instead of being counterproductive and, you know, it was um, proactive after the fact. Yeah. It was a proactive. Yes. It was a proactive decision. Um, strategic decision. I didn't make it likely, you know, um, and it apparently grew some legs and started walking, and now it's um, apparently pretty popular internationally because I've been contacted <laughs> and told so. But, um, but yeah, so I didn't know what to expect. I was extremely nervous when the first article came out. I was like, oh, I'm this is this is going to be horrible. I was like, this is going to be terrible. I was like, I'm going to need to like lock my doors and like shut my windows with like steel rods. I'm going to have, you know, people are going to come after me with stakes and forks. <laughs> um, and like with a, I'm going to have like a, a mob outside of my door. Yeah, with, I was, with the pitchforks <laughs> and torches. I was pretty nervous. I mean, it's Texas. I was extremely nervous. I mean. Um, and how's the hear... response been? Any pitchforks? Okay, say that again. Any pitchforks? How's the response been so far? Um. So the response has been interesting because in the secular community, it's great. People sure. are extremely excited, extremely just beyond excited. Um, most of my campaign contributions have come from the secular uh, community. Um, and in the other community, which is everybody that's not secular, right? Um, <laughs> if they're open-minded, essentially, I mean, kind of if they're Democrat, right? If they're Democrat, they're extremely supportive as well, right? They don't care. But they also know that I'm not being, um, I'm, I'm, I'm being inclusive, right, of everybody um, and recognizing that uh, freedom of religion is not just for people that believe in a certain religion, right? It's for mm-hmm. everybody, and that includes me as well. Um, and so people realize that I'm going to fight for their rights because their rights are my rights, no matter what. Um, so, so far, no one's you, used it against you in any sort. I mean, I know it's early in the season and even the Democratic primary for your seat hasn't happened yet. But so far, none of your opponents have used it against you as some sort of uh, black mark. Not yet, because they're not concerned with me yet. They're not the, yeah. the Republican opponents are not going to be concerned with me until after the primary, and then they need to be concerned about me. Right. Um. So, i've I've got I've gotten um an email. I got an email that they were like, 
they just didn't understand why I didn't believe in God. They were just really lost. And I was just kind of, I didn't, I actually it's not the first time they'll be lost. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Let me, they were like, why, you know, what happened to you? They're like, what tragedy occurred in your life that made you abandon your faith? I'm just like, and, and I really didn't know how to respond. Um, I, I just really didn't know how to respond to that without alienating that person. Sure. Or I, condescending. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we'll move off of this particular point, but I do want to ask uh, one question, which is, do you know, I mean, you said you got a lot of support from the secular community, but are you aware of how uh, difficult is the wrong word, but unusual it is for a politician to be so open about his or her atheism in any sort of a statewide or national race. I mean, this is not something that happens very often. Yeah. Um, I can tell you how unusual it is in Texas. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about, you know, other places and how widely atheism or secularism, humanism, whatever you want to call it, a spade to spade. Um, I mean, as someone who covers it and follows it on a regular basis, I'm telling you, Texas is really no different on that front than a lot of other states um, where, I mean, it's it's just not something people say openly if they can help it. Mm -hmm. So when you said you were being proactive about it, that really is an unusual move and and maybe a very good strategic one. But it is unusual. So that's uh, I think that's what uh, made me really interested in what you were doing. Yeah. Um, did you were you able to catch me on NPR? Yeah, it was a really interesting interview that they did with you where they were talking about that. I mean, I think even the reporter, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, even mentioned that I think only one other Texan and that was in 2014 ran for state office openly and it didn't go well. Yeah. But it was in the same condition. I think uh, Daniel Moran, who ran at the time, kind of said, let mm-hmm. me be that option for people. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm going to put myself out there because someone's got to do it. Right. Right. Now I'll say this. Um, I do not think Dan lost because of his atheist platform. I think he just lost because of the incumbent in the district. I agree with um, you. Yeah. I don't right. think it hurt so him as much as Yeah, as I don't think, think it hurt him as much as people think it hurt him. But that's and I guess that's the risk that I'm gonna run is that if I lose, people are gonna be like, Oh well that's why. Right. <laughs> she lost because of this when it's realistically eh. No, it's probably not, right? Um, but if I win, maybe it is because of this, right? So yeah, I mean, it's, um, you got to get your name in the media these days. It seems like if you look at the national candidates running for president, mm-hmm. the the attention they're getting in the media seems to be overriding whatever campaign ads they're doing, whatever their talking points are, their stump speeches. It's can you get people talking about you so they're on the forefront of your mind? And I think at least in terms of uh, the House elections in a state which usually get ignored by the rest of the country mm-hmm. i mean it's kind of surprising that anyone knows what's going on in a house district that they don't even belong to sure so that's that's good oh i know that's actually what's really um really cool that you know people are taking an interest in my race um this very flattering really um but so I had mentioned um, NPR, and I, there was, I was actually going somewhere with that. Um, as much as I get sidetracked when I talk, but uh, <laughs> me too. We, we talked about being proactive. Well, and the reason I did it was because of if you listen to that interview, the first thing that this the the radio host says is you're godless, and he's like <laughs> with this convicted right, and so that's and that's the difference 
between being proactive about something and being reactive to something. It's where somebody already pegs this message and they already create this branding around you that says you're a godless Satanist, whatever else they could possibly call me, which I'm sure is a slew of things. Well, that's the message they're going to hit the ground running with when as soon as they find out, right, that I, that I don't ever go to church, right. Mm -hmm. Or they start getting suspicious or whatever it is. Right. Um, Whereas the message that I have put out there is that I'm going to be equal to everybody. I'm going to be inclusive to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to fight for you just as equally as I would fight for the next person because what you believe isn't any better or worse than what somebody else believes. But what matters is that you have the right. And so the messaging that I've been able to get out there is my good intentions, right? My ability to fulfill this position in office and take Texas into the future. That's the messaging that I've been able to get out, um, even if it's around something that shouldn't personally, shouldn't really even matter, um, but does, that does, that does matter. Um, and it's fair so to say why... the fact that they asked you about this on NPR and they called you godless on NPR, you got to respond to it. So it's not like a comment from somewhere else where you don't get to respond and people hear it. They it's not a headline that you right? read. Yeah. Right. So it's it's all around it's a it's going to be a better um a better a better I don't want to say experience, but it's I think it's going to have an end. The end result is going to be better no matter what happens because of how I was proactive about the situation. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when that, when they did say, oh, godless, I said, well, look, those scare, those words scare people and they sound terrible and they have a really negative connotation and they make people want to turn and run through the hills. Mm -hmm. Whereas the word secular or humanist, you know, those words, people are like, oh, wow, those sound great. What does that mean? You know? And, that's the difference. It's all about the branding and it's all about the messaging. Kristen, sorry, By I didn't the way, check this. I have a degree in marketing. Oh. <laughs> uh, I didn't check before we talked. Where is District 33? I don't know. Um, so District 30, are you in Texas, by the way? No, we are in the Chicagoland area. Okay. Um, so District 33 is the Frisco portion of Collin County. And or the well, maybe I'll say the Collin County portion of Frisco because Frisco goes into Denton County too. So the Collin County portion of Frisco, um, and then it also includes Salina on a Blue Ridge, Farmersville, uh, and then all of Rockwall County. Um, and what and is that particular? Rock what is that particular area known for for people outside of the state? Mm, being very Republican <laughs> and red and conservative. Got it. I, I'm like, so, so I'm not even kidding. I'm so serious. Um, so in such and a, in, in such a conservative. Yeah, I, yeah, we were talking about that earlier. What prompted you to run in such a conservative state? It really feels like the odds are stacked against, stacked against you as not only a Democrat, but an atheist Democrat. Um, I live there. <laughs> And you... I mean, that's I, that's just honest. I, I lived there. And I, um, I, I mean, some people will move out of that district to run in a district where they have better odds of winning. Mm -hmm. um, but the good thing is, A, this is my first race, so it's great practice. I have an amazing amount of practice now running a campaign, doing the marketing for a campaign, <laughs> creating all the graphics for a campaign, you know. Um, 
and I mean, later you can, I guess I can move down, um, to somewhere else, but I mean, realistically, don't you want to at least know what, you know, where you're moving to the people there, what, you know, how, you know, how to represent them. So if you go and move down to Dallas just to get elected, I mean, people aren't going to look at that as like, wow, she really cares about us. It's like, no, she cares about getting elected. Yeah. This is your home. You want to represent your home. Um, Right. What's your pitch? What's your pitch to voters in the district? Why should they vote for you? Especially if, like you said, they're they're probably heavily Republican already. What's your pitch to them? So we all know that change needs to come. Mm-hmm. And my why and my how are why is improving education, um, making sure that we keep our civil liberties, which is our freedom of religion, right? So, mm-hmm. and then also economic stability. Um, in Texas, we spend $18,000 a year putting a person in prison, and we only spend $9,000 putting one student in school. So we spend twice the amount of money to imprison people in the state than we do to educate them. But if we were to, if we were to graduate 5% more men, just men, just men, okay, now I'm including the women, 5% more men from high schools in Texas, we would see an annual crime-related savings of $1.64 billion. And then we would benefit our state economy by $1.76 billion. And 5% is a very nominal number um, in consideration to how much we actually can improve the graduation rate in Texas. Because what happens is when students fail out of high school, they end up in jail. And so instead of paying for our children in grade school, we end up paying for them later in prison. And it's a vicious cycle that's just going to keep going and keep going and keep going until we fix it. And fixing it is going to take us investing in our children. Um, I mean, school reforms that will produce more high school graduates would not only save taxpayer dollars, but it would change the lives of students and their families and result in fewer victims due to preventing crimes. Uh, keep our neighborhoods safe and children out of prison. I mean, that's all you can really ask for in any society. Um, but we don't have that. It's completely opposite. We're feeding our children into the private prison system. Um, and it's it goes against the moral fiber of our society. Um, and so that's education's my most passionate uh, platform that I'm most passionate about. Um, and then when it comes to civil liberties, one of my things is equal representation in office. Um, we're supposed to be a representational democracy, right? It's a democracy for the people and by the people. But we are only, and when I say we, I mean anybody from the ages of like 18 to 40. Uh, we're 52% of the population, which is in general, it's the, that's the, what they consider millennials, um, give or take a couple of years, right? So it's 18 to 35 or 18 to 40. It just depends on who you're talking to, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but the those people uh, only represent 6% of the Texas legislature. Um, and on a national scale, on the, the average is 1% of the uh, of Congress. So 1% of the Senate okay. and 1% of the House um, are, is it, are people from 18 to 40. And since I guess, you know, I think at the congressional level, you have to be 26 or something before you can be no, no you can be 21 in a congressional seat um 
but so we could say 18 to 40. Um, but we're a very, very small portion of the actual legislature, even though we're the largest proportion of society. It's disproportionate. It's not representational. And that's where that builder apathy comes in. So I want to be part of part of that change, right? Part of the people that go in and say, okay, I understand what you're going through with your student loans because I'm paying student loans, right? I understand what you're going through because I graduated high school with five or six years ago. So I understand what high school's like, right? Um, I actually just went back the other day to my high school um, and participated in a program. I used to box in high school. My boxing coach invited some kids back um, that graduated to give us speech to the seniors on life after high school. And so I went and did that and was able to tell people, you know, my life story and how everything, like, I never thought I'd be here, but yet here I am. Right. Um, and so, so this I is the know. pitch you're making to people in your district, all these reasons, these should be uh, nonpartisan issues. These are good reasons for them to put you in office. Right. And they are nonpartisan issues. They're, they're things everybody should care about, truly care about. Um, like full-time uh, working women make 78 cents for every dollar a man earns. I mean, every woman in my district should care about that. Um, they lose like $431,000 on a lifetime of lost wages due to the gender pay gap. So let me I ask mean, you, crazy. let me ask you this, because this is uh, just outside of the actual politics of it all. I think a lot of us listening to this, and I know I think I can speak for myself and Jessica here, we, we share a lot of your politics, but none of us are running for office. And that's kind of part of the problem here, that a lot of the people who usually share these progressive views aren't the ones running, uh, and we don't have candidates that we really like. What is it? about you that says, uh, you know what, I'm going to be the person to run. What What is it that you did that so many other people just don't do? How did you, how were you able to pull that trigger? Um, just take the plunge. I mean, I, it's daunting. It's, you have to think about it. It's like, okay, well, how is this going to change my life now and in the future? Um, I mean, there's a lot of things to think about, and when you think about all of it, it's like, nope, nope, and some more nope, right? <laughs> it's like, not me, right? But then you're like, but if it's not me, then who's it going to be? And it's, the answer is nobody else. Nobody else is going to step up and do it. So if it's not you, then it's nobody, and if it's nobody, then guess who wins? They win, right? The conservative side wins, and then we go back in time, right? We, we re rewind the clock on progressives. Uh, on, on progress in our society. Um, and so it was really, it was just give yourself a pep talk and it's like jumping into a cold lake. You just got to do it. <laughs> it know. really is. <laughs> After this talk, I'm feeling like super pumped. Like I want to go run for something. I'm going to go print it. out a button. I mean, just <clears throat> vote for Jess. Do it. Like, and like if you, so I, did y'all read my message for the millennials on my website? Uh, I did read it uh, the other day when we were prepping for this, but uh, what specifically about so, it? So, at the very last paragraph on this, uh, on my letter to the millennials, on a message to millennials, um, and I'll read it, so, so I'll like quote it perfectly. So, it says, by encouraging millennials to run for office at the local, state, or national level, we can create a new wave of politics. If we, as millennials, step up to the challenge to run for office and get out and vote in primary elections to beat out any incumbents, together we can elect people that represent us. 
And that's everything that I'm trying to do. If nothing else happens with my, with my election or my campaign, I hope it inspires somebody else. And it doesn't have to be in Texas. It can be in Minnesota, Idaho. It can be in Colorado. It can be wherever, right? It doesn't matter. Um, but if, if I can encourage one young person to say, she did it, I'm going to do it, and that person can go on and make a difference, then I, I made a difference. I changed something. I changed. I made a difference in, in, in probably millions of lives, right? If they're going into a public office where they can make laws that affect millions of people in that state, just by doing something, even if I failed at it, even if I failed miserably at it, right? I can still, I can still create an effect. Is there an argument to be made that if you're making this push for millennials to vote for you, you're somehow alienating like older Texas voters at all, or like should they um, still get your support too? So, I don't want to alienate older voters at all because that's not definitely not the goal here because it's not about. Um, it's not about just completely displacing everybody that's in office. It's about <laughs> it's right. It's not about that because you need people that have been there and know what they're doing, and you need people that have new innovative ideas, and you need them to come together so that way they can work old school, new school, right? Can work together and say so that you know. And that's where every. So if you look at corporate America, um, like Lockheed Martin over in Fort Worth is one of those companies that they love bringing in new, uh, fresh out of college people. Because those are the people that come with the new ideas, the new innovations. They they put probably billions of dollars into research on new technologies, um, and they're developed by young people, fresh out of college people with this thirst, this drive, this hunger. But they also have them working with seasoned engineers that are like, okay, well, based off my experience, I know that this will work really well. Let's try it this way, right? And so that's what you'd get in, in a public office. Um a place like the Texas legislature where you do have, you know, older uh, incumbents that have been there a while. They know all about the politics. They know what it's going to take to get a law passed. They know, you know, who they need to be friends with um, and who they don't need to be friends with, right? And they can get in there and say, okay, I'm going to be your advocate. Everybody, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, it absolutely makes sense. I And I hope right. that... Uh, you can persuade then the older crowd to say, yeah, okay, I'm not afraid of sending someone younger than me. Yeah. You know, I see that you know what you're doing, so I'm, I can, mm -hmm. you can have my vote. What? Right, uh, and 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 I've, I've had a really large amount of support from people of all different age brackets, and even, actually, I've had a, a huge amount of support from people that are significantly older than me, um, and they're just super happy to see a young person running, and good. everybody just gives me this great pat on the back. I've had people give me hugs because I'm so young running, and they're just like, <laughs> this is amazing, like, I can't even believe this, like, um, I mean, it's, it's been an amazing level of acceptance at that at the opposite end of the age spectrum. Good. Um, and it's because they know that I'm not trying to alienate them. They know that I'm not saying they're no good. It's right. not about that. It's about it's about creating an equilibrium in up in the legislature, right? Good. Um, so let me ask you what uh, um, you're now doing this campaign. What's and I know you worked with the Collin County Democrats as well, so you have experience working within like the political machine in a sense what surprised you so far about running a campaign is there something you just didn't expect that you're seeing now no actually there's <laughs> nothing i didn't expect um 
so again, my, you know, my degrees in, in marketing, my background in marketing, and that's all a campaign is who can market themselves the best. Um, and I believe I'm doing a very good job of that in my district. Um, but I don't think anything surprised me. The only, you know what? Um, the one thing I didn't know before I got involved in the party was that nobody can endorse you before the primary. Oh, nobody that's affiliated with the Democratic Party can I like so like for example the Wild Dem they cannot endorse me the, the Collin County Democratic can't endorse me the Rockwell Party can't endorse my uh, my opponent right um, and they have to remain very neutral or it's actually illegal um, and so you feel very alone actually you feel like there's just not a whole lot of um, assistance at first. Um, which I'm sure, again, will change after the primary. You'll have everybody reaching their hands into the pot and wanting to help you out now that they can legally do it. Um, and so I know that. And so it's really like you just have to be optimistic and remember there's a light at the end of the tunnel and not let the darkness deter you at first um, because it, it can be, um, again, like I said, it can be deterring when it's for the first. And I started my campaign in the summer because I've never done this. And, you know, everybody's like, Kristen, you don't need to start campaigning yet because it's only X, Y, and Z. I was like, skirt, y'all better move around. I was like, (laughs) nobody knows who I am. I was like, nobody knows who I am. Nobody, I've never, you know, I've never ran for office. I need time to, like, make my mistakes early on Mm. and then do it right when, you know, time's getting, it's crunch time, right? Um, And so it actually turned out really well, and now I've had more time to market my name and all of that, and so more people know who I am and all these things in comparison to my opponents, uh, even even on the Democratic side and the Republican side. So, um Okay, practical. So that was probably a really smart move on my part, um, a decision kind of hit the ground running in the summer. Practical question for you. Suppose you win this race. Uh, if my numbers are right, Texas, the Texas State House still is overwhelmingly Republican by like a two-to-one margin. So even if you were to get this seat, I mean, there are that many more Republicans than Democrats. Can you still get anything done then? Um, yeah, I believe so. And the reason I believe so is because I know that it's all about diplomacy and compromise. And it's all about saying and getting other people to get on board and start rowing in the right direction, right? It's getting, it's getting people to row the boat with you. And I believe that I have an amazing ability to build relationships with people. Um, and, through those relationships, foster innovation, foster success, and foster progress. Um, And I think that's what it takes, is going to take in something where you're representing millions of people. And there there are so millions of different opinions. Um, But when it's you and a group of other people that are making the decisions, it's about getting those groups of people on board and saying, what, what can we afford not to do? And what can't we afford not to do? Um, so are your, um, your folks are not Democrat. Is that Democratic? Is that correct? No, my folks are not Democratic. So my mom was a Democrat. Uh Um, she was, was? my mother was a very progressive, very liberal person. She grew up in LA, um, out of California. So she, um, 
still trying to figure out how she ended up with my dad. I can't figure that one out. But um, and my dad's from Mobile, Alabama. Um, the heavily and... liberal part of the country. <laughs> I'm sure. I don't think anything about Mobile is right. liberal. I don't think that, I don't think Mobile has a liberal bone in its body. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, so my dad is a Republican, but we and we have great conversations. Like every time I talk to him, we always talk politics, and it's funny because and so by the end of these conversations, we'll be like, "Hmm, you have a good point there, Kristen." And it's and you know, Yay. and it's just I don't know if it's because I'm persuasive or it's just because I have really great points and they're fact based. It's fact based data, you know, and and so um, so I think that again, it kind of shows that I have a way to talk to people and get them to see my side of things as well as understand their side, which is where that diplomacy comes in. It's being, it's compromising on the right thing and, and recognizing, uh, to, you know, when you need to pick your battles and when you don't. Are they proud of you for running? Oh yes. My dad is super proud of me. Um, my dad is very, very, very proud of me. Um, and this is Texas, so this is a funny story that he's probably going to hate that I told you. But he <laughs> called me up one night a couple months ago, like a month or two ago, and he was down in Galveston on business, and I guess he, like, told this guy in a bar that I was running. And then he was like, oh, but she's running as a Democrat. But I'm still, you know, excited that she's running for office. I mean, it's so cool. And this man told him, he said, well, you didn't raise her right if she's running <gasps> as a Democrat. <laughs> I couldn't be making the story up. I could not be making the story up. And I was like, no, you're kidding. He was like, Kristen, he was like, I just had to walk away. He was like, I was so upset that this man had said that to me because oh you just don't insult some of these kids, you know? And, and you I just think, think it's so funny. <laughs> Your dad didn't even tell the guy you were an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, he didn't even say that. Like, he left that completely. I don't even think I had, like, talked about it in my campaign yet. This was so early on in my campaign. Oh, but this man, oh my, my dad was so upset that he had said that. But, um, but yeah, my dad's super proud. Like, so proud that he's telling strangers in bars that are, like, super far away yeah. from my district. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> Mr. Padgett, if you're listening, we think you did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's going to hear this. I'm going to say podcast. Thanks People for listening to an atheist podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's exactly it. Uh, <laughs> A couple more really. And my dad, yeah, my my dad's a uh, Catholic, and he actually grew up and he went to Catholic school out in Mobile, and um, yeah, so my dad's been a Catholic his whole life, which hence why I was raised like that too. Is there a Catholic population in Alabama? I thought it was more Baptisty down there. You know what? I don't know. I don't know if like I don't know what the demographics are. I just know my entire family is Catholic, and my dad has five brothers and sisters. So, Jeez. like on that side, as a matter of fact, my mom's side, they were Catholic too. My mom was Catholic. Her mom, they were all Catholic. So, um, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how that happened. Let me ask you, uh, your opponent. Uh, on the Republican side, the incumbent there, uh, I think he raised like a quarter million dollars last time he was running for office. Let's say you win the oh, Democratic. I think it was more like three hundred and something thousand. Actually. Okay, so if you win the Democratic primary, how do you, as someone like us who's kind of like new to this whole thing, and this is your first campaign, just strategically, I'm just curious, how do you compete against something like that? Um. Well. I'll tell you. Um, it's, so this is what I think. 
Um, and this is, and it, like, if this works, which I so far it's worked really well, I'm going to write a book about it and like Excellent. change politics forever. Um, <laughs> campaigns, political campaigns, are in the very near future, probably within the next like decade or so, are not going to be ran like they used to be um, door to door. That's all going to be digital. It's going to be all about digital marketing. It's going to be all about grassroots. And as you see, that's what's happened to my campaign, and that's what I did with my campaign. Um, I, I have this grassroots buzz about my campaign going on, and people all across Texas know about it, all across the United States. People in other countries know about my campaign, and it was all organic. I have not paid for a single Facebook advertisement, and as of a couple of weeks ago, my average Facebook reach per week is like 14,000 people. Um, it's the one it's, thing you have in common so far with Donald Trump. <laughs> right. You're really right. good but at self-marketing. How, <laughs> but look how, yeah, but not, oh God, not like that. I'm not like <laughs> using people's ignorance to like foster my success. Like, or, and I'm not preaching bigotry. Oh gosh, don't even get me started on Donald Trump. <laughs> don't even get me started. Um, oh, don't even get me started. But, um, but we can use him as an example. Look how popular he is. And how did he do that, right? He did that via social media. He did that. Granted, he probably had like how many millions of followers mm -hmm. because he was already a, a celebrity before he ran, right? I mean, right. that really helps you out a little bit there. Just like my the the incumbent in my district who isn't running again. Um, he, he should be a professional football player. I'm sure some of his donors had deep pockets. <laughs> sure. Like, they were ready. You know so, what I mean? Like, in a sense, you're saying on. you're going to basically hope that, like, the marketing degree that you have and your media savvy uh, will overcome whatever financial obstacles your opponents may throw at you. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, so far, so far, I'm telling you, it's worked. So if, if the last couple of months is anything any type of foresight into the future in the general election, then I'm on a roll. Um, so let me, let me bring up doing. one more thing, which is, I don't know if this is a sore spot, but this is an, as an outsider in Texas from Texas. Um, did you learn anything from the campaign of Wendy Davis? Because she had a lot of, uh, like you said, she had a lot of support from a lot of places. Mm -hmm. She represented a lot of the demographics that I think you said you're trying to reach. Um, and obviously she had an uphill climb as well in a very red state. Uh, she kind of went through a lot of the same stuff you're doing at kind of a much bigger level. Can you take anything away from that and use it to your advantage? Um, yes. It's all about the messaging. Um, Wendy Davis made her campaign, and I voted for Wendy. So, Wendy, if you're hearing this, I voted for you. Oh, hi, I Wendy. You. I hope you're listening. <laughs> uh, but, um, and like we said, this is just reflection, and we're looking and learning from everybody else's mistakes and going forward. So, Wendy Davis, um, from my perspective and talking to other people about the campaign, she made her campaign about one of the most controversial topics in the last decade. And that that was abortion. Sure. And and, she, and if people are you, listening, she's Wendy Davis is the one who filibustered in defense of abortion rights and women's mm -hmm. rights. 
which I'm so glad that she did. Right. Right. Um, but she made she made it about the A word instead of about women's rights. Does that make sense? Like her messaging is what was off. Mm-hmm. It, because it turned it off a lot of potential voters. Voters, yes. Um, and even because, mind you, we have Greg Abbott in office now, and if you know anything about Greg Abbott, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> right. So I think there were were a lot of people that would have voted for Wendy, but because of their convictions, their ethnocentric values, mm-hmm. meaning more than likely their religious convictions, right? Right. That they they knew how passionate she was about it, and it wasn't even. It's not even about. That's not even the problem. The problem isn't that somebody's passionate about abortion. It's it's that they made it the focus, and so now it was like this ringing echo in everybody's mind. And if that's something you're just truly against then you cannot support that person either. And so that's what happened. That's to me, that's what happened. So it was about the messaging. But do you think um, she had a choice in it? I feel like she was kind of teed up for it with the filibuster and with all that. I I, I mean, I, in my opinion, not that but, I followed it super closely, but again, she kind of leaned into it a little bit, so right? So like I said, so it's, it's about using the word godless versus the word secular. Oh, uh, sure. Which, which one sounds better? Sure. Women's rights? Does women's rights sound better or does abortion sound better? So which everyone one? else Everybody, wanted to peg her. Everyone else wanted to peg her as someone who was pro-abortion, and you're saying, and not in a critical way, but like she didn't do an effective job of spinning that into, no, I'm for women. I'm for women's rights. Women's health, yeah. Right, right. Um, And it's kind of the same way that the Republicans ended ended up being able to get America to support them going into like a perpetual state of war. And it was with this slogan that said, support our troops. Mm-hmm. Well, that, of course we're going to support our troops. I would support anybody that puts their life on the line for me. Mm-hmm. Right. But the catch was that just means... because you support the truth doesn't mean you support the war, yeah. but it, they will tell you if you don't support the war, then you don't support the troops. Right. So I mean, they're definitely master this... marketers of their own. They know how to spin right. a phrase. And so they marketed the war in a way that said, if you don't support the war, you don't support the troops. But you want to support our troops, don't you? Well, yeah, of course we want to support the troops because my God, my son is a my son is a a, a veteran. He's a he's a serviceman, or my boyfriend, or my husband, or my wife, or my daughter. Of course, we're going to support the troops. But it wasn't about the troops; it was about the war. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to make your you're not going to make your campaign about one particular issue, even if you may share a lot of those views. Right. You're going to make it into and, the campaign points you mentioned, the civil rights, the education, the economy, and try to hammer home those points instead of letting other people right. define you in a certain way. Right. Um, it, and I think that. You know, I think that's that's how you win elections is by, and again, this is just from like the research and the history that I've seen happen, right? I mean, we know JFK won his election because he was a little bit more handsome than his opponent, which was Reagan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, JFK, Nixon, no, Nixon no, yeah. Reagan, but yeah, sorry, he Nixon, was, he definitely Hello. used Hello. that like stuff to years. his advantage. <laughs> 20 years, I think I'm 20 years. No, it's okay. In, in, he definitely era, used his characteristics to his advantage. Ever, that was the, that was the uh, Nixon and JFK. That yeah. race, that political race, that presidential race, was the first ever televised race. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And so a lot of people say that that's why JFK won. Um, and so, so you're going to use your youth about marketing <laughs> and yeah. yourself to your advantage. Yeah, I just happen to have a, a particular set of skills. <laughs> awesome. So, Chris, are are you going to win? I'm going to win. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so where can people uh, find out more about you and support you? Um, so, if you are interested in this campaign, you can go to Paget the number four texas.com which is pageant for texas.com with the number four and you can follow me on facebook and it would be facebook.com slash pageant for texas still with the number four um and then i'm also on instagram and twitter my handle for both of those is at pageant for texas again with the number four we'll make sure um, links to all of those are on our uh, on the notes section for this podcast calls to action marketing yes <laughs> yes and and um i've had an amazing amount of uh campaign contributors so if you're listening and all you have is a dollar i would love your dollar please um because i mean think about it if there's i mean i think i looked on your facebook you have like 200 something thousand followers on your facebook i get around 200 something thousand <laughs> very popular donated one dollar then i would meet my my opponent's um, what he raised, my mm-hmm. not the opponent, the incumbent, what he yeah. raised. And that would just be because a group of people said, hey, we want to get this done, and boom, it gets done. Yeah. So, hey, it's working for Bernie Sanders so far. A little yeah. bit from a lot oh, of yeah, people, and it's going you. far. Mm-hmm. Well, Kristen, it's good it's luck to you. Grassroots. We'll definitely yeah. be following your race, and good luck in your campaign, in your primary, and hopefully beyond that. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am extremely happy to be here, and I'm excited that that I was able to sit with you guys for a little while. Thanks Thanks so so much, much. Kristen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.